everyone. Welcome back for a brand new episode of The Witching Hour. I am Perry. This is Haley, and we're so happy to be here hanging out with you guys, talking spooky stuff. Always. I love me some spooky stuff. Yeah. Yeah, guilty. How has your week going? Happy Friday. Woohoo! Saturday. Happy weekend in general. We made it. We made it to another one. We did. We did. Um, depending on when you guys are watching this episode, you know what super cool activity I'm going to go do on Saturday? What's that? I'm going sledding. Really? Sledding is so much fun. Okay. I can't say I've ever been. I can't remember. I, I probably actually, given this conversation, I probably didn't say this to you last time, but you remember a couple weeks back how there was a really bad snowstorm in New York, like a lot of snow? So I went with uh, my cousins and my little niece and we went to the local middle school and went sledding. And it must have been like the first time in maybe 15 years I've gone sledding. And my big takeaway from that was adults should go sledding more often because like you are just going down the hill and you can't help but to smile. <laughs> That's nice. I've, I literally don't think I've ever done it. We would ride like cardboard boxes down the grass on my grandparents hill but that's the closest I've been and because it was you know the 90s that hill led directly into traffic oh god <laughs> we we had one of those across because like the coolest uh hill to go sledding on where I grew up was kind of right across the street the problem was like the perfect angle that that hill was on would basically send you right into the middle of the road yeah same. But we'll do it anyway. And it wasn't a super busy road. It was the 90s. Parents yeah. were doing other stuff. I don't know. So it goes. We are not recommending sliding into major roads. Uh, any roads, really. Yeah, that too. Well, except now that I'm thinking about it, it's like when I used to go sledding on that hill, we would do it on days where there was so much snow that cars couldn't really drive up and down that road anyway. That makes sense. So I guess it was fine. Look at that. I was safer than I thought I was. All right. We got stories for you today. A whole mm -hmm. bunch of news stories. We're going to cover all those. Then we're going to go into two big trailers that dropped. And then we're going to talk about the latest episode of WandaVision because I got stuff to say about this one. Excellent. Yeah. I'm excited to hear it. All right. So the first story on our lineup today is grabbing the link. Craig Zobel has a new movie in the works. So I am reading from Deadline. Deadline has the exclusive on this one. Zobel has been tapped to direct a yet-to-be-titled modern sci-fi thriller, which is set up at New Line. I think that's... That's pretty much... <laughs> yeah. But... Um... I like all three of those things. I like New Line, I like Craig Zobel, and I like sci-fi thrillers. So uh, I'm excited to see what that concoction turns out to be. Did you just say Zobel? Did I? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what's right now. <laughs> I, 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 as usual on this podcast, I'm not sure I've ever heard that said out loud. So my brain just did whatever it wanted. I think my brain. Him, so you're probably right. My brain the first time was just like Craig Zobel, like, and then can't be anything else. So I've always said that, but that could easily also make me wrong. It's probably just because I studied French in high school. So everything's L or O or like, um, even though it doesn't have the LLE that would make it that way. That's probably why I pronounce it the other way, because I did study French in high school, but I sucked at it. <laughs> I was so bad at French. 
I, I, I don't speak French, just to be clear. I wasn't awesome. <laughs> but I, I, I will say that I think, you know, I'm not as hype on the hunt. So like his next film isn't my like, oh my God, lose my mind type movie. But what I really did like about the hunt mostly came down to the direction. And I mm -hmm. love compliance. So compliance I'm is so good. Yeah. Compliance is great. I mean, I did really love the hunt. So when you add the hunt and compliance, I'm pretty much going to be signed up for everything that he uh, he attaches himself to. But then again, I didn't see Z for Zachariah, so I can't speak for his entire filmography right now. It's solid. I would, I would be curious your thoughts. It's like really slow, talky type apocalyptic drama. But I, I like the setup and the performances are really strong. And that's actually what I was gonna say is after the performance he worked on, on the hunt with Betty Gilpin and the performances he got in compliance and the performances in Z for Zachariah, like I always will be curious to see what he pulls out of his actors next. Maybe I'll put this movie back on my list then. It's like, it's not a, oh my God, you missed it movie, but it does feature really strong performances. I'll take that. And, you know, I'm I'm a completist whenever I can be. So if I can see his entire filmography, I kind of want to see This is an easy one. Usually hard to watch someone's full filmography. Oh, that's very true. I mean, I'm not even going to touch some of the TV stuff. Otherwise, I'll never catch up. <laughs> All right. We got another one here. I believe this is also a Deadline exclusive. That it is. So there is a Train to Busan remake happening over at New Line again right now. And Deadline has the scoop that that um, the director behind or co-director, I think, behind one of my favorite sections of VHS 2 is now directing this movie. It's Timo Chianto. And I could not be happier about this news. Yeah, it's Pretty perfect. Uh, Timo also did The Night Comes for Us, which we have spoken very, very yeah. highly about on this podcast many times. Um, he does awesome action mm -hmm. and awesome horror. And I think that my favorite, one of my favorite things about Train to Busan is how it incorporates action into a classic zombie movie. So I'm super hyped. Yeah, I did. I really liked the night comes for us. I think I, I've said that on the sh on this show quite a few times, but I think Safe Haven in VHS two is like perfect, <laughs> like absolutely perfect. <laughs> so I have to name that person. I I think he he directed that one with Gareth Evans. If anyone's wondering, oh, which by the way, this wasn't in our lineup, but didn't we just exclusively break Gareth Evans' new movie today? Mm. I believe that we did. What time? Um, Netflix. I don't have my phone, which is usually how I do my sneaky side googling. I can do it. I got it. It's the Tom Hardy story. All right. Here we go. So this scoop comes from our own Jeff Snyder. Tom Hardy is set to produce and star in Gareth Evans' new action movie, Havoc. All right. And then it continues. Already good. Lots of lots of good things about the both of them. And apparently the story is the log line. After a drug deal gone wrong, a bruised detective, played by Hardy, must fight his way through a criminal underworld to rescue a politician's estranged son while unraveling a deep web of corruption and conspiracy that ensnares his entire city. 
Yeah, I mean, that sounds like the perfect thing for him to be directing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I do any fight your way through, and Gareth Evans will always be like, mm, yes. I hope there are two takeaways from this portion of our conversation that you should be excited about both of those movies, but also that you should go check out Safe Haven from VHS2 if you haven't yet. <laughs> Very true. Actually, I, I like pretty much all of VHS2, but that is, I mean, that's the real show. Oh, I like every single one of them. I think VHS2 in whatever year it came out wound up in my top 10 of the year. I was very obsessed with that movie, but it, it's like they're all very good. But again, I really do deep down believe that Safe Haven hits perfection level. Yeah, it's excellent. So yay, Timo. Super stoked. Um, yeah. And I think it's the perfect choice in that because Train to Busan is so new, like whenever those movies get remade, you're like, kind of like, come on, it just came out. But now with this combination of content and creator, I'm like, never mind, do it. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see how it turns out. I'm still like, I love the folks involved right now, but I'm always going to be a little skeptical, at least until I see a little bit of it. Did you ever see the Train to Busan sequel? Mm -mm. Did yeah, you? Neither, neither did I. I, it was such a high priority for me. And then for one reason or another, I just, when it actually came out, I never got around to watching it. And I'm surprised. Pretty much likewise. My hope, I just bring back Don Lee. I don't care why, you know, this happens all the time in remake. Don't justify it. Just bring back Don Lee. Yeah. All right. I should have known you were going to go there. Yeah, of course. Any opportunity. <laughs> all right. Do we want to move on to our next one? Yeah, it's very exciting. This is a cool one. I like this one. And I'm also I'm copying and pasting the wrong link right now, but I have it. I have it. Yet another deadline exclusive. Ari Aster, who, of course, directed uh, Hereditary and Midsommar, is going to be making another movie. And apparently he is getting uh, financing through A24. They're also set to produce the film. It's called Disappointment Boulevard. And Joaquin Phoenix is officially on board to star. I don't believe there are plot details for that. Yeah, details are being kept under wraps for the project. It was written, it will be written and directed by Aster, but uh, the plot is described as an intimate, decade-spanning portrait of one of the most successful entrepreneurs of all time. That's all we have on it. And I know that Aster has said, like, at some point his next project was going to be a four-hour comedy or something, but I don't know if this is that. You know how movies change and priorities re-evolve, especially after this last year. But yeah. I hope it is. I don't know. I would love to see that. As you were explaining that, my reaction wanted to be like, oh, like when Robert Eggers was going to direct a new Nosferatu next. Yeah. Yeah. So it goes, though, sometimes. Great example. But I hope that is it because, hell yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm obviously tickled to have any details about a new Ari Aster movie. We all yeah. know how about his films. It's hard. It's hard not to get hyped for this, even though we have we have uh, such limited information about it. Just knowing Ari Aster's sensibility and where Joaquin Phoenix is willing to go for a role, it just seems like the two of them are so well suited for each other that I think they're both going to wind up bringing the most out of each other's work. And it, it couldn't be a better match for this. Yeah, and I don't mean to like repeat myself too heavily, but talk about another director with a fairly short resume who has proven an ability to work with actors tremendously. Yeah. Yeah, when I wow. 
when I think about it, I mean, I guess Florence Pugh was like the number one in, in Midsommar. I was about to say like from going from like Tony Collette to Florence Pugh, but really like there was a huge ensemble in Hereditary that all stood out. But I think uh, I think uh, Florence Pugh topped them all in Midsommar, even though the entire ensemble is good. They were all great. And I think that Jack Rayner's work kind of gets overshadowed because it's a lot more subtle. It's true. And it's like hard to play a role that doesn't have the theatrics that makes you dislike that character as much as you need to. I think that doesn't work. But you're right. Obviously, it's Florence Pugh's show. Come on. I I think that Jack Rayner's work often gets overshadowed. And it's not fair. Like, I don't know if I'm allowed to say say hold on, let me look this up before. Well, well you look around, I'll just throw out the classic. Have you seen Sing Street? I mean, come on. They, yeah, well, they yeah. Sing Street is a great example of that because yeah. he is a he's a pretty big part of the emotional core of that movie, but because there's so much going on around him, he doesn't quite get the credit he deserves. The movie that I'm not allowed to talk about yet, I I would say it's a a similar thing. I think he brings the exact energy he needs to that movie and he does it very, very well, but it's not his movie. So Hmm. he's a little, he's a little stealth highlight to whatever he's in. The other one is free fire. That was the other one that I was thinking of. I think he's great in that movie, but like that is a gigantic ensemble of big personalities. So it's it's just not easy to stand out in a group like that. Very true. So five out of five for Jack Rayner, no matter what, even though that's not what we're talking about, but good for you, Jack. Man, I want Jack Rayner to lead a movie. When's the last time he's actually starred in something? Uh, I don't know. It can't be Transformers, right? Gotta be I mean, he wasn't even the star of that, though. Yeah, that's true. And that was not a good role. No, it was not. I don't know. I Of everything I've seen that I'm looking at right now, I don't think he was the lead in any of these. I'm so, so like now after this conversation we had, I'm so conflicted because part of me is like, give that, give that person a lead. But the other part is like, my goodness, they're making everything in these bit parts so good. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Not that, I mean, Midsommar is not a bit part. Supporting roles. Oh, no, yeah. yeah. But still. Jack Rayner for leads, people. Yes. And and always more movies for Ari Aster. And make yeah. it four hours. I don't care. Make it four hours. Every time I rewatch Midsommar, I just wish we had the long, long, long version as an option. Because I don't want to leave that movie every time it's over. I don't know if I want four hours of something like Midsommar, but I I will admit that Ari Aster movies can sustain a longer running time than most. Right. Maybe it's like that. Release two cuts and let the nerds like me have our full sit with it. Yeah. uh, You know, I'm very much into that idea right now. I mean, not to go off the rails, but I keep thinking about just like the value of having another cut of the movie because Snyder cuts right around the corner. And I don't know, in general, when it comes to director's cuts, like what's the harm if the material, especially if the material is already there. Like if you're in a situation where you went into the cutting room and you had to cut things for for time, whether it was because you think it enhanced the movie at the moment or because the studio insisted on it, like, what's the big deal if you have the material and then you have the means to distribute it after? I feel like we need more at-home released director cuts. I totally agree. And I think that uh, Snyder Cut is a good reference point for when I think there should and shouldn't be. Like, is it that 
the director has an alternate vision that they also like and support? Or are you just trying to profit off of a shittier cut of a movie? You know, like a lot of older director's cuts just kept the cut scenes in that they cut for a reason. Mm-hmm. That I'm not super into. I'm into like yeah. when directors, they like their cut that they put in theaters, but they also have another cut they really like. Or maybe they don't like the cut they put in theaters, which is, you know, kind of a lot of Ridley yeah. Scott's career. I'm okay. If if Ari Aster wants to go full Ridley Scott and release an alternate cut of every freaking movie he puts out, I will watch all of them. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I I would uh I'd probably watch that too. I'm I'm also always down for fascinating behind the scenes experiments just because like this this art and the craft of it just fascinates me to no end and I'm I'm endlessly fascinated by the idea of finishing a movie like not being a real thing. Like it's always a it's always a moving goalpost, and it's just so fascinating to me that someone could be maybe satisfied with a cut one day, and then a week later, think something different. I think that's like the curse of creativity to Isn't a certain it? extent. Is those ideas will always be like, "Damn, I should have done that." On the one hand, it's frustrating and and shit like that eats away at me at night to the point that I lose sleep over it. But on the other on the other hand, it's it's such a huge motivating factor that if it wasn't there, I'd I'd fear that I would be burnt out or lose interest at some point. And I think that scares me even more. <laughs> I I get that. I like the idea of it as a motivator. I tend to have like these thoughts as more of a stress point, like even to the ridiculous point of emails I sent a month ago where I was like, I should have sent a different draft of that. It's not my best email. Uh, so don't do that. <laughs> Let me tell you, the uh, the undo send button on Gmail is the greatest thing ever created. It's like, it's incredible. Sometimes I'll... Like, I almost feel like I'm not doing it on purpose, but I kind of am. I'll write an email and just quickly press send without reading it. And I'll read it after I press send. And like the excitement of trying to read it quick enough and I need to pull it back because <laughs> it only gives you a certain amount of seconds to pull it back. I think I have mine set to the longest amount. I, it's like 90 seconds or something. Yeah, it's not even that much, which is why I should stop playing this game. But I kind of <laughs> All right. I think we should move on to our next story. All right. This is also a deadline exclusive. So we've got info on Jordan Peele's next movie. Kiki Palmer is going to star in it. It's over at Universal. And there's no plot information. A lot of that going around this week. Surprise, surprise. There's no plot information at all. But we do know that the movie is set to be released on July 22nd, 2022. So that's kind of cool. And then on top of that, the casting for this one just gets even better because Deadline updated their story because Daniel Kaluuya apparently is in negotiations to co-star with Palmer. So if all that works out, we're going to get a Kiki Palmer and uh, Daniel Kaluuya headlined Jordan Peele movie, which sells itself. Yeah. And who who doesn't want to see a Peele-Kaluuya reunion? Come on. He said uh, I wanted to, I believe Jeff had a little extra info on this casting. I don't know what you're going to say. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, Jesse Plemons was in conversations for the film, but he ended up, understandably, going over to Scorsese's new film. Yes. That's actually not what I thought you were going to say. Didn't someone say something about Kaluuya being a villain, or did I read that on Twitter somewhere? I think that Jeff's report suggests that actually Kiki Palmer will be the villain. Oh, Maybe it maybe I just went down like a like a 
Twitter rabbit hole where I thought someone said that Kaluuya could be the villain and, you know, pointing to uh, his work in particular in uh, Viola Davis, Liam Neeson came out two years ago. Why can't I think of the name of the film? It's fairly recent. It was a potential awards contender and then didn't really, uh, Widows. I feel bad. I think I also misread that. I think you might. Why do I Aha, aha, I'm not delusional. (laughs) I was search finding the wrong word. Right now, Palmer's casting is all that Collider has confirmed. And while plot details remain under wraps, sources say that she'll be playing the antagonist of the film. I'm open to that too. Yeah. I mean, both of them have such great range and they can do such exciting, bold and uh, standout things on either end of the spectrum. So I'll take whatever I can get from the two of them. Yes. And obviously, I mean, there's no justifiable reason to not be excited for a new Jordan Peele movie, even if you don't know a damn thing about it beyond two actors who might be starting. I do not need to know. Like, given where um, Get Out and Us fell in my top tens of their respective years, I don't need to know a single thing about this movie. (laughs) Two tickets, please. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, Probably more than two tickets, if I'm being realistic. I think I saw Us in the theater, like, maybe five times. That sounds like you. Yeah, yeah. Would you know I have an obsessive personality, huh? (laughs) All right, do we want to go into trailer? We're kind of just bouncing between the movies that, or like filmmakers making new movies that we watch obsessively. But mm. With you, the Hunt, me, and Midsommar, <laughs> we're on Jordan and Peele. That is kind of true. Yeah. It's a good right. for us, news wise. Trailer time? Yes, very good. All right. Let us talk about the Mortal Kombat trailer first. Holy shit. I ah. mean,. Who knew I cared this much about Mortal Kombat? I, when I was younger, I did. I was definitely much more of a gamer than I was now. I was pre- I was pretty into it. I probably shouldn't say that so lightly. And I did play a good deal of Mortal Kombat, but like not to the extent that uh, you know I remember a whole lot or have necessarily been clamoring for a Mortal Kombat movie again. But this trailer, this trailer did the trick for me. Where I, whereas before, I was basically just like. Yeah, I, I kind of want to see this movie. Now it is up there on my most anticipated list. I think this could be a friggin' R-rated bloody blast, and I can't wait for it. Exactly, same page. I was like, yeah, why not when it was announced? Cool, James Wan's involved, into that. Let's see. And now I'm super hype. I'm going to be paying attention to everything. I just can't stop watching the trailer. It's like, if this is panning out the way that I hope that it does, this is seem this seems to be like the kind of movie that I'll wind up watching over and over and over again. But I, I know I don't, I don't want to get ahead of myself here because I know it's very possible to cut a super cool trailer with a shitty movie. So I, I know all the possibilities that could lay ahead here. But really, if I want to stay positive and have faith in the movie, this trailer makes it very easy to do so. What's your favorite part of the trailer? The end, the blood stabbing. How could how could any other part be no. that? It's genuinely like when I watched it for the first time, I did like a little oh, because it was so cool. 
<laughs> I had to go back and rewatch it after it happened. I'm like, did that just happen? And then I went back and I rewatched that bit and I was basically watching it frame by frame. And it, it looks, it looks incredible. There's, there's some concern here and there about uh, cartoonish CG effects. I'll, I'll admit that there are a couple little moments where I'm like, I don't know if that's really refined, but Really, just like with this this cast of characters and these kinds of visuals, I feel like it's going to be able to get away with that if it is even an issue in the finished product. That's a, I try not to go too hard when it's a first trailer because, you know, they're yeah. still often sorting things out. But, hey, I mean, to loop it all back, it's Joe Taslam's time. Yes. He was in The Night Comes for Us and kicked all the ass. Uh, I, I'm... I'm so ready for his moment. Like, yeah, I feel you. To backtrack, though, on not judging trailers, that is also what we were told when it came to Kristen Wiig's cheetah in cheetah form in Wonder Woman 1984. And I'm pretty sure it looked exactly that way in the finished film. And I wasn't happy with that part. Sometimes it is not a factor. Sometimes you get things like... Um, Will Smith's genie and it's just not quite there yet. And sometimes you get things like Sonic the Hedgehog and they're like, we're going to have to reboot this entirely. Everyone hates it. So I, I just try to keep an open mind with effects and trailers. This is all you can do. Um, yeah. I can't believe how utterly amused I am by the roll call in this trailer. It's like that shouldn't work at all, but I love right. it. Yes. <laughs> I, have, I, I am like, honestly genuinely shocked by how much i care about this trailer i did not go into my week thinking that uh, this would be a freaking highlight of my life it it genuinely wants uh makes me want to i don't know break out the game boy or whatever console yeah. i was on and and play the game again i i wish i still had mine i would do that in a heartbeat the only reason that I'm actually saying that is because I know I have a lot of those things because I just cleaned out some like closets and drawers around here. And there, there's a lot <laughs> like there's a lot that was purchased and was not used enough. And I don't feel good about that. We have to give it its time now. I think it was a uh, like a habit that I had to that I had to get out of like when I was uh, probably like single digits or like preteen at least. I was like the Game Boy was in my face 24-7, like meals, everything. Wow. And then as I got older, I think it was almost like routine or it felt like routine deep down to want the next version of every console. But then I was playing them less and less as I got older. So it's like all of a sudden I hit the Wii days and like I might have played the damn Wii four or five times and then it just sits there. The Wii is not um, a... a your best game playing device. It is it is a very enjoyable, relaxing and or fitness device, but I've just brought my Wii out of storage recently and have been messing around with some old games. It 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 has its functions. Sitting down to like play a game isn't really its strong suit. Random question for you. If you were to find like old old boxes of things like maybe roller coaster tycoon and sims you know things that came on a on a cd that you had to put in a computer and download what would you do with those are those trashable or is there any value to them whatsoever anymore i am not the person to answer that 
commenters, please enlighten us. Yeah, please. Here's I don't know what to do with a lot of this stuff, clearly. All right, next trailer. Let's go into Cruella with Emma Stone. I, I will call this another surprise trailer of the week because I didn't have all that much faith in this movie when I first saw the, uh, I guess we started with the first still. I thought it was a little too big of a swing. And, you know, given uh, given Disney's track record with their live action adaptations, you know, some are great and some are not so great. And some feel too repetitive and some feel too removed from the source material. So I feel like I'm always all over the place on first looks. Mm-hmm. But then this trailer, it kind of sold me. I can definitely see a path where this is an epic disaster and it makes no sense. And this was not the story to tell in this sector of the Disney animated classic zone. But watching Emma Stone have fun like this is kind of appealing. And so is the look of the movie and the fashion. I don't know. I think I'm kind of into it. I'm like on the opposite page. Okay. I, uh, I When they announced it with all the creatives involved and Emma Stone taking on that role, I was like, okay, maybe. I think that, it, you know, and I'm sure they have thought a way of, around this. Maybe there's a huge fundamental flaw in that who is going to be on her side? She skins puppies. That's impossible. Like, I don't care. You suck. But I was excited for the creative team involved and I, like, deeply deeply love cinderella so i'm always hoping that like there will be another disney remake that hits that level for me this trailer for me wasn't it didn't care for it messy weird vibe uh nothing in there made me think i would be willing to forgive cruella for skinning puppies like i'm just not on board (laughs) i'm not here if your if your comparison is Cinderella, it does look like Cruella is going in the polar opposite direction. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's there's nothing similar there whatsoever. And you know, I like I've thought about that same thing you just brought up. I feel like this movie so far feels so detached from the 101 Dalmatians that I know that that isn't an issue just yet. But w- where do you even end this movie? Where where do you end it? in a satisfying place. I, I don't genuinely don't know how that's possible unless you erase what we know that she does at some point. That's the, like, I can't, with Maleficent, I kind of vibe with Maleficent in some ways. It's kind of messy, but I kind of vibe with it. And that's a, a, a good backstep on her backstory in a way that I thought worked to make her an empathetic character. But again, she doesn't skin puppies. Yeah. Like, Having a grudge against a kid is sort of classic fairy tale stuff that we're used to forgiving. Skinning puppies? Not so much. I'm not there. And unless they decide to change that, which wouldn't really honor the character, I just don't know how you make it work. Um, And there's, I think, maybe a little bit of a difference in that when you think about how Glenn Close you loved to, like, find her so loathsome, but that is firmly in she is a loathsome character. They're not mm-hmm. trying to make you empathize with her. She's awful. And Glenn Close is just killing it. I was about to say, well, who knows if they're going to do that with Emma Stone's version of the character. But it's all, it's it's also because I have um, I care a lot fresh on the brain. 
which is a movie where the protagonist is someone who's doing a terrible thing and the movie never asks you to to feel for her or root for her in that respect. It never sugarcoats the fact that she's doing a really shitty thing to other people, but it's still highly entertaining to watch. That that doesn't seem like it would jive with the Disney formula, though, to embrace the, you know, the anti-hero or just plain old evil of it all and let that carry you through. Right. And the trailer did seem sympathetic to the character. And maybe that's just a marketing technique, but I don't know. It does I'm I'm at the like, who is this for place? Who yeah. what is this? I saw a lot of that on social media and I don't have a good answer to that. <laughs> or at least not yet. I do like the the fashion and I hope it's cool because uh usually not always, but usually if nothing else, the costumes are pretty freaking cool in these movies. Yeah. I, I imagine this will be fun to look at. If yeah. not else. <laughs> and I hope it surprises me. And I'm sure that I will enjoy Emma Stone's performance because she's awesome. What do you think about all like the Joker slash Harley Quinn comparisons? I, I can't I can't really say that anyone who brings that up is is not not right. I can understand why anyone would connect the dots between those characters. I think there's something even the way you know, whether you're talking about the, uh, you know, the makeup and the costumes or even just the way that Emma Stone carries herself in the role, there is something like a maniacal Harley Quinn tinge to mm-hmm. it. So I can see that. And also with what this movie seems to be getting at, it does seem like it's in line with with uh, the feelings and the themes that we might have just gotten in the Joker a little bit. <laughs> Some yeah. of the things, at least. They're fairly apt comparisons i like i see why they were made and i saw a lot of dunking on those comparisons this week but honestly no they're they're fair yeah that's i mean that's why my knee-jerk reaction to that question was to defend them because i think they are especially the structure of the trailer does have joker energy the character has more harley quinn energy but the trailer has joker energy yeah i mean even just uh i forget what the lines of dialogue are towards the end but where where she's like embracing the fact that like these negative negative qualities are who she is yeah i don't know we'll see uh big mystery back that one i am very curious to see how this one turns out (laughs) and i guess it's the that's another i think essential difference to me like it comes back to that disney formula thing because joker whether it worked for you or not or if you're sort of in the middle like me that was a hard r-rated movie that didn't shy away from very gross things that he was doing i don't know how you play that to a disney tune i lean towards a you can't (laughs) right I, you you know I love being positive and have all and having all the hope in the world that something's going to turn out to be good. But if I am a, if I am to make a prediction for Cruella right now, I think that's what's going to be its biggest flaw is that it's going to get hung up in that middle zone where it wants to like be badass and edgy, but also make you sympathize with the character, and it's not going to be able to have both. I have I have concerns. <laughs> yeah, I'm right there with you. We shall see. All right, tis time. Are we jumping into WandaVision? Yeah. I'm so excited. All right. It is time for anybody who has not watched the latest episode of WandaVision, which is episode seven. You know what to do. Press pause on this video. Go watch that episode of WandaVision. And then you come back and you press play and you join us for this conversation. So tis time. 
WandaVision spoilers are happening right now. I'm caught in the middle right now. Okay. And like it doesn't feel fair almost because I'm going to say I didn't love this episode as much as I've loved other ones. And I can't tell if it's because like certain hopes and predictions I had aren't panning out. And that's rubbing me the wrong way, which I think isn't a fair reason to criticize the episode just because it's not giving me what I hoped for or expected in that sense. Right. Or are those things that they're revealing not really working, which is a completely different thing that I could be upset about. So I'm still a little confused about which thing is actually happening. And I don't think I'm going to get my answer until the end. But at this point, this episode might be my least favorite of the bunch. I mean, you kind of have just expressed how I've been feeling the last couple weeks and that I'm like, is the problem with this that it's not what I want? Not necessarily theory-wise, but just is the, the narrative approach? Or is it not really working? And I I agree that this is a weaker episode. Um, it, I think of everything so far was least successful in embracing the the sitcom format it was trying to approach. Uh, it just didn't work for me. And though I think that, as we say every week, Elizabeth Olsen is freaking incredible. And she did a great, um, um, oh my gosh, why can't modern family performance there? I don't know that that worked for me in the context of what this episode needed to be. And we're at such a reckoning for her, her grief and her coming to terms with reality. And maybe this is what they'll do in the last two episodes, but I'm concerned about how much time they have left that we haven't really got there yet. It's a lot of avoiding that reckoning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think all those those concerns are starting to become my concerns as well. I I also think the and we touched on this a little bit last week, but I think the the structure of this episode overall isn't really working as far as how many different focal points we have now because initially it was just Wanda and Vision. Very very clear, easy to get into, easy to digest. Then they split it when we got uh, Monica. And I still think that worked very well. Yeah. But now we got a lot of things going on. We got we to gotta keep up with Wanda. We got to keep up with Agatha. We got to keep up with Monica. We've got to keep up with uh, Vision and Darcy. Then there's also a uh, sword evil guy who is, I, so I guess he is evil at this point. That is a lot of things to keep an eye on in a 30-minute episode. And I think in this episode in particular, my attention was too all- too much all over the place to I don't want to say care about any of it because I still think the material with Wanda played pretty well for me mainly because of Elizabeth Olsen's performance but it was and the twins I didn't even bring up the twins they're kind of doing their own thing to a point now that it's just it's a lot and I feel like I was a little all over the place and for an update on how I'm predicting Mama Nems is going to respond to this I think this one's going to lose her like I'm almost fairly certain that this one's going to lose her I'll be curious to hear. I I mean, I continue to have the issues I expressed last week with pacing and balance. It's about balance that I don't think they're completely hitting yet. And I was so, there's this rumor going around last week that the last three episodes were going to be like an hour long. And I was so like, finally, okay, good. They're going to do the thing that I need them to do and spend time with all of these plots that they're taking on. No, no, no. And I, um, just to be clear, have a lot of really positive things to say too, but I have a lot of feelings about why this isn't working for me that I want to get out. 
No, I'm with you with that because I I don't want it to come across like I'm hating on the show all of a sudden because I'm not. I am very much enjoying watching it. I think all the negative just spewed out right up top because I haven't really had that feeling before with the show. And, you know, when you're loving something and then all of a sudden the disappointment hits where it's not quite working as well, it's, you know, that's bound to kind of uh, like rise to the top, become the priority to discuss at least. And that's definitely uh, that's definitely the case here. Things like Modern Family aren't really like my jam, so I don't watch that much of those kinds of sitcoms. Is the camera work really that aggressive with the zooms? Yes. That, I, found, I found that distracting and dizzying. But like then again, I don't watch those kinds of comedies, so or I, I don't know. It works a lot better. So I actually like am a stealth Modern Family fan. I actually like fan is a stretch because I've never even watched like the last three seasons I don't think I just find it to be a really genuinely funny show it's something I can put on and it will make me laugh and the advantage there is that those zooms and that camera work and the direct to cameras are very fucking funny which they're not in this episode so it is a bit more chaotic and less effective I think I think they were working when the zooms were timed to uh purposefully comedic beats there were moments where it was almost like the zoom was just happening to point out an object yeah and that's the stuff that i didn't find i didn't find funny and i i felt like like i, I truly felt like a little dizzy from it that's fair yeah. Uh, yeah like i said i don't think they nailed this particular format and maybe it's tougher you know the farther you get along you look back at something from the 50s or the 60s or the 70s that's so crystallized, those tropes are so clear and well-known, whereas, you know, talk about a decade ago or a show that was running up to last year, we don't have a complete concept of what makes that decade tick as a sitcom because we're not far enough away from it yet. So those those core themes aren't as universal yet. That's my, my take on maybe why it didn't cope cohere as well as some of the other themes. No, I think I think that could definitely be playing a part here. So what did you like about the episode? What did I like? Oh, well, first of all, I just didn't want to say I was thinking about something tied into like this whole balance problem that I'm having. And I also think that part of it is like usually each episode of a sitcom, and you really saw this in the earlier episodes where it was really focused, will have some core basic plot that gets resolved by the end, right? It's the boss is coming to dinner. It's the pregnancy and birth episode. They all had a a core function that was resolved by the end of the episode. And I think I've really been missing that from these last ones. Mm. It's like, they're not as um, coherent, I guess. And, And it's probably because they have 70 characters to deal with now. But in terms of what did really work for me, well, number one absolutely has to be Agatha's song. I knew what it. A, what a jubilant, joyful song. I was very into that. And usually I'm yeah. very against anything bad happening to dogs. But that last little line was just spot on perfect. And I'm so happy because I finally called something correctly. I called one thing. This is here on Witching Hour is the only place where I've been like tracking my theories week to week. So I'm so delighted to say I finally got one wrong. She did kill that dog. As, as I was watching all of that stuff play out, I kept thinking of you because you've been calling that like the witchy vibes for a while now. And Catherine Hahn is just so well suited for a role like that. I mean, I feel like you really need someone, especially in this sitcom format, who can play into the cackling witch as well as she can. And 
I, I, I'm looking forward to seeing what she has to offer without the restrictions of hiding the role in these last two episodes. Oh my God. Yes. And I don't like, I don't want to take too much credit for having that right. It's fairly obvious. Agnes, Agatha Harkness, like a lot of people were pretty convinced about the brooch that she wears specifically that she killed the dog. I got it right. (laughs) I, I can't take credit for all of the knowledge because it was so like collectively on the internet, but that was one that I very specifically, I, I just feel good about getting one thing right. <laughs> one thing. I, um, I don't blame you. So, I love, oh, please. No, 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 you go first. Cause like what I'm going to say next is going to kind of mm, put us into another bigger topic. Okay. Well, I wonder if it's related. I was just going to say, I also continue to love what Tiana Paris is doing so much and how, how she's, playing I, the uh, owning, I guess is the better word, her character's powerful or transformation into powers, I think is such a cool performance of something that could be so overwhelming or overdone. And Monica's just like accepting it and doing it. I love that. I think she's fantastic. I think in general, I just love like her commanding screen presence. You know, from and the beginning, it's she, the same thing. She's commanding that new physicality that she has. She's been in the middle of like an epic uh, film franchise with all of these characters and a lot going on. But whenever she's on screen in that role, your eye is drawn to her and you can kind of feel the uh, like the confidence that that character is oozing with all the time. And and it's believable. It's very natural. So I always appreciate that. As far as the powers go. I wonder if this is because like I read up a little. I know that the character gets powers at a point in the comic, but mm-hmm. that all felt very, very quick and unacknowledged to me. And while I understand why, like that might be a, like a cooler way to do it, to just keep her going, like keep her on mission. I mean, what is she supposed to do? Stop and be like, what can I do right now? Let's forget about everything we're fighting for so I could focus on these new abilities. But I feel like I needed that, like, holy shit moment kind of thing, you know? I think that's fair. And I think that maybe that moment was supposed to be her going through the hex and coming out more powerful. And I'm not sure that narratively it works as well as what I'm saying, that her performance works super well for me. I agree that maybe the reveal could have uh, had a better holy shit moment. But the way she's playing Monica's like immediate acceptance of what's happening to her. I love so much. Yeah. No, I mean, that's, that's a fair point too. As she goes through the heck, she's hearing all of these things and you know, that could have been the way to pave the way without the holy shit moment from what she was outside of the hex to going through it again. I mean, I need to, I need to go back. I feel like I found somewhere out there that it transcribed every single line that she heard and what character she heard it from. And it does make sense, but now I can't come up with a single line of that. <laughs> uh, I can only remember the, like, of all the kids, you got the toughest one. Because they repeated it twice. Yeah. There, there was that one. And I think there was some stuff from from Captain Marvel, too. Hold on. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get that. Because that would be a, a cool thing to share. I think it came from a CNET article. That it did so handy that you could just search for stuff like that all right wide web now i'm just scrolling until i can find where they transcribed the lines i will get there well i'll say 
in terms of maybe they're like the fact that we're feeling they're not exploring narratively her powerful transformation enough that might be because they're saving it for captain marvel too that's I, that's also true i mean she is gonna have a bigger role all right here is the lines as transcribed by cnet so first it says um Maria Rambo says, no, no, I can't. I can't leave Monica. Young Monica says, mommy, it's okay. I can stay with grandma and pop pop. Then Maria says, there's no way I'm going, baby. It's too dangerous. Young Monica says, mom, maybe I could fly up and meet you halfway. Then apparently Nick Fury says, which I didn't hear this, only if you learn to glow like your aunt Carol. Carol. Then Maria <laughs> says, and you are the most powerful person I knew. Dr. Harley? Oh, Dr. Harley says, your mom, your mom, she died, honey. And then Jimmy says, she was truly an inspiration. Sorry. And then Carol says, your mom's lucky when they were handing out kids, they gave her the toughest one. So apparently that's what was said in that moment. Uh, yeah, I definitely did not catch all of that with my grandma ears. Um, to, to quote my favorite thing from the one time I got to interview Stephen King. I buggered him with rock and roll. I often I often watch all of this stuff with subtitles on, so I'm surprised I didn't notice it just based on that. That's smart. Um, also, I want to go back and rewatch the whole show with the closed captioning descriptions on because those will often um, not just the lines, but the descriptions of the scenes happening. Those have a lot of details you might have missed. Sometimes yes, and then sometimes I don't know if I trust them. <laughs> like, That's I don't fair. Just and maybe maybe this isn't a a thing when it comes to like a new show being produced for a service like Disney Plus. But sometimes like when we get screeners for film festival movies, like I feel like it was just thrown together very very quickly, and it's not necessarily all accurate. And sometimes I'll catch something where I'm like, I'm pretty sure you didn't mean that. You know? That's totally fair. <laughs> All right. So what I was going to say before was now that we have the the confirmation that she's Agatha, do you think that's it? Is Agatha essentially the big bad of WandaVision or is there going to be another layer of it exposed in the next uh, two weeks? I actually do think there's going to be another layer, which adds to this whole like how much time do you guys have left situation? Yeah. Are you on the same page? Yeah, I think there's going to be another layer. And um I don't think that that layer is going to be anything new to the um, ship. What's his name again? The sword agent? Oh, I don't know. The, the really, I don't know. I don't, I don't like him. I don't, we don't acknowledge him. In this but I, I basically like, even though they, they, um, they gave us the mission, they gave us what his mission is in regards to uh, vision. And he is involved in some capacity. I don't I don't think that they're going to go down that path as being like the bigger bad. I I, I do think there's something else cooking and um I, I think it's just another I think it's another layer layer to um Agatha. You you can't have her say something like uh like when she talks about Ralph, like who the who who's Ralph? Like you can't keep mentioning Ralph and then not showing us him. Like I think I think he's someone that you know, is is not who we thought he was. Also, I'm not ready to call it yet, but with the reveal that Mr. Evil Shield Man 
was in fact doing not so good things with Vision's body. I I really think that um, it might be that Wanda, that video they showed to make it seem like she was out of control and stealing Vision's body was not a situation where she was in some like villainous space. I think she was coming to honor Vision's, you can't use me as a weapon and take that back. That's I'm hoping that that turns out to be true. Yeah. I just like, like, I really want to know, I want to know who's in control. I want to know what rules we're playing with. It's like, like another one now that's on my mind is like, what do you make of Evan Peters as Quicksilver? Is, is that something, is he really, is he really the Quicksilver that we knew in the Fox rendition version of, of, uh, of the uh, Marvel franchise? Or is that entirely a being that Agatha just, you know, cooked up to throw Wanda off. I think I said last week that I didn't think it was really Quicksilver and I still don't. Um, I, I'm unsure based on what little we saw from that, you know, it was Agatha all along vignette, whether he is a being of her creation or a being under her control, which are two pretty different things. But um, I definitely don't think that it's Quicksilver. No. You Wait, wait, you think it... Do you think he is a being of her creation? I, I don't know if he's a being of oh, her okay. creation or just a being that's under her control. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. Where yeah. do you on that? I'm going to, I think I'm going to be, and again, this goes back to what I said at the very beginning of the, of our WandaVision conversation. So I don't know if this is fair or not. I'm going to be very disappointed if it's not real Quicksilver from the Fox films. I don't think that's something that you could just throw in there and then say like, ha ha, it wasn't time yet. And then take it back. I think there's, there is too much disappointment that would come with doing something like that. I think it could be both in a weird way. I don't know. I, I, as I said last week, like why even try to outsmart this show at this point? But I just, I, he doesn't seem like, or say things that make sense to me as that character. So that's where I'm at. Uh, and I mean, we got so little of him this week to even add to that wow. process. That was a, that was another strange decision. It's like, I know, I know it's a Marvel thing to include mid and end credit scenes, but like, why that? And why now are you running out of time? Should you just make your episodes longer? I'm sure there's a structural reason that I'm not catching yet. You know, like with the way they're using the different, um, aspect ratios and stuff maybe eventually once we have the full context it'll make sense why that went there i'm reaching yeah uh, for the record but, his name is hayward not hawthorne hayward that was close I had the right not a fan um i did want to single out a moment it has no theories or anything attached i just it was my favorite was vision taking the microphone off of his superhero suit during his interview yeah incredible i mean that 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 to me is one of the great values of putting wanda and vision inside of a uh, of a sitcom like this it's like that's where i think it was used best when they were playing into it more you know what i mean yeah and i think uh paul bettany can do anything so i think his comedic timing in moments like that was just spot on i also wonder mm -hmm. if like the idea of her 
reality melting down around her might have had more of an impact if we had some concept of what that reality is. To me, it felt like another layer of weird things happening in a show that's really only been weird things happening. So it didn't have much of an impact for me other than like, oh, she's not in a good place. Yeah. It was also very repetitive without actually adding to it. Yeah. It's like it was a cool effect at first, but when it kept happening, it, you know, it just was what it was. Do, do you think that that is Wanda um, losing? Do you think it's a Wanda problem or do you think it's something that Agatha is doing to her? Very interesting. Who knows? I do think it's possibly a side effect of like expanding the hex so radically so quickly. Mm. Um, I also, again, we don't know anything about the reality of this show, so it's hard to take too much from it when the reality goes haywire. Um, and not to be that person who's like, I need answers with my show, but at a certain point you lose dramatic stakes when there's no like real ground base of stakes established. I do wonder if that's going to be something that the MCU higher-ups and the creative team need to adapt to a bit more. Because I think you can have that sense of mystery a little longer in a single feature film. Where the aha moment can be further uh, further in, closer to the end. And it still supports the full experience well enough. Whereas you do need to create many experiences within the full one. And if having the mystery towards the end is... is uh, not ruining, but her at least hurting a little bit a week to week enjoyment, then I think you need to restructure how you unravel your mystery. Yeah, I obviously am inclined to agree at this point. I'm I'm very curious to see how they bring it all home because I think they do have such a massive emotional weight to somehow resolve along with a massive plot driven along with a massive mystery box. I do hope that maybe those rumors about extended runtimes manifest in some way in these last two episodes. Maybe they're not an hour long, but they sure could be a little longer because that's a, it, they got a lot to do. Mm-hmm. And um, my guess at this point is basically whatever the big reveal is of who's doing this and how much is Wanda is going to be something we get at the very end as a setup to Doctor Strange more so than a, a res- resolution firmly for the series almost. Or like, yeah. that might be the, not a resolution, but uh, something that actively plays a part in in the current narrative of the series. Yeah. Yeah, no, I see what you mean. I think that probably makes the most sense at this point. There's just a time limit, my dudes. I know, I know. <laughs> I uh, I really do hope that the uh, the la- I can't believe there's only two episodes left. It's wild. I I hope they are longer. Is there anything else you want to bring up? Oh, um, the uh, the the bug cicada. Hmm. Hmm. I don't know. <laughs> what does it mean? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, what's the book? I don't know. A lot of a lot of theories on that, but. Um, I, I just take note of cicadas because there are a lot of cicadas where I grew up. And when I was a child, my beagle used to go outside and he would scoop up a live cicada in his mouth and he would walk around with it, making that creepy buzz noise in his mouth. (laughs) And then he would take it and he would come back in the house and then he would plop the cicada on the floor inside the house. Oh no. 
<laughs> None of that. Um, yeah. Well, my question, I guess, at this point is like, <clears throat> do you have a theory on who the big, big bad is at this point? I mean, I'm definitely losing my Loki one <laughs> at this point that it, it feels like it feels like it's going to be less of a thing now of kind of uh, like messing with the timeline to me. And it's going to be more uh, supernatural powers in a witchy sense. So I'm steering away from that. Mm -hmm. I, I think there's a layer above Agnes, but I don't know enough about the source material to actually weigh in or guess. I think... Uh, I think it's um, Hayward, as far as big bads go, it's it's Hayward and whatever he's up to, then it's Agatha, and then there's there's like a, a puppeteer up there, and I don't know who that is. I know everyone thinks it's Mephisto. Maybe it is. I have thought from the beginning, and I'm still not unconvinced that it might be Nightmare because of the dream logic of this world, but... Either way, like this goes back to what I was saying about how much time is left in that villain reveal. I definitely think that's probably mostly going to be set up for Dr. Strange. Okay. I don't, I mean, like, it's not like they have a enough time to go back and do an episode from the big bads perspective or something and re recontextualize it that way. Did we ever get the resolution? I, I remember the quote swirling around social media that Paul Bettany gave about acting opposite someone and like what an honor it would be. And the fact that he hasn't actually, we haven't seen that episode yet. That is uh, as far as the most recent quotes, which came out yesterday and today, we still have not met that person. So I'll, I'll, you know, throw out one theory that that person winds up being the, the top of the villain food chain. Yeah. That's my guess too. Um, who really in, in which case, it, in which case, I think it would mean it's a, a new character, nobody that we've seen before. But what were you gonna say? Oh, nothing interesting. Um, I just, I okay, so here's my little, and this won't mean a lot to you because you're not super into the comics, but there have been some references to Grim, Grim Reaper throughout the series, and that character is tied to this, uh like Wanda envisions, uh, let's say Wanda's comic book meltdowns. <laughs> um, and I, I guess my like curveball probably never going to be true, but I would laugh if it was theory is that somehow that is who Evan Peters is. <laughs> um, mostly just because I'm fixated on the line where he said, I'm here to give you grief. But there have been little references. It's just such a, like a character that hasn't been a major factor for a long time. So it'd be super random. But that's my bullshit, probably not true thought of the week. I change, I change my theory. I, li I like what you're saying. And I'm going to say that, that Evan Peters is our big bad. And that they and that they use, like he'll be cast in whatever role it winds up being, and that it was a situation where he needed to step into the world in order to I don't know like gain control or force Wanda to do what he wanted at the time, and it just it just so happens that the uh, the way to get Wanda to do a certain something was to impersonate her her dead brother and 
it's literally just a behind the scenes aha like haha kind of thing that it is evan peters i could see it i think it's gonna rub a lot of people the wrong way if it is just an aha funny thing but like the way that they're throwing around meta references and like the kick-ass line i could see it yeah i i like being right i hope i'm not right on that but i I think (laughs) yeah and you know like now that i'm thinking about it even more i feel like maybe that's why they included the uh the end credit scene when they did it's not like why why else would that particular moment have such significant value to convey at this particular moment? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I do think there has to be a reason. What, is he, what does he say to her again? Snooper is gonna snoop or something yeah. like that. I don't know. All right, that that didn't help me at all. <laughs> no, it's a very random line. <laughs> I okay. So here's one more question for you. That is more comics based. Um, things don't sometimes go very well for Wanda and Vision's kids. Mm-hmm. I, do you think they have like, the guts or intention for that to be the last we saw them? And like that, that, like that, that's like, the end of Billy and Tommy in the show? Well, traditionally losing her kids is what makes her fully break. Like when you say losing, do you mean them being taken from her or them being like like kaput? It's a very complicated answer. There's a lot of versions of that. But um there are some times where they're strictly made up by her and when she's not paying attention, they're not there. They've been used as literal fists. <laughs> um and then they also, you know, they've had had runs in Young Avengers, so that that could be a setup that they're going for too. But I am, that's very dark if they choose to go that way, because it has been before Agatha Harkness who made her aware that her kids were not real. I think it's a very real possibility that I think, I think it's a different thing to, to kill the kids to spark this kind of meltdown in Wanda. But I think it's a very possible thing that because they were born in the hex, that they're not real. And Agatha is going to tell her that and Wanda's going to freak out and that's going to lead us to Doctor Strange. And we all, you know, the line I keep coming back to and that, again, incredible Agatha song. Uh, the songwriters are sort of the undersung MB- MVP of the show. Um, there's a line that's like, I don't remember it exactly, but it's like, and now it's too late to fix anything, which... Uh, makes me think things are not going to go well in the next episode. Um, I'm, I'm worried about those cute little kids is what I'm saying. Always have been. I've been saying this for weeks. Nothing's going to go well for those kids. Yeah. But. I'm worried about those kids, but I'm also just like sad for those actors because <laughs> they're good. So I just want to see them get to do more and not to see their run cut short. I don't know. I feel like, you know, they've got a career ahead of them a few years. Oh, I know. I know. I wanted to see if I could look up the, the full lyrics to the song really quickly, but of course that's not going to happen quick enough. No. Once again, I'm missing my phone. <laughs> but uh, there is a line that suggests like, and now it's too late, you're fucked, <laughs> basically is what the line says in a in, in Disney approved language. I Yeah. Never mind. This is unless they update it for every episode. No, 
This is, I only have the lyrics for the first two. Oh, wait. Do I have it? Do I have it? I feel like I don't have it. Oh, no. And I'm conveying that I do have it, and I don't. <laughs> yeah, I don't have it. Okay, well, then I have, I know we're running long, but I have one more thing. Okay. One more thing. What the hell is up with the mailman? Why do they keep focusing on that dude? He's like, always got a little miniature, like, that it's unnecessary if he's not necessary. That he's had like three or four little moments where they specifically alluded to him. I could see why, I could see why you would think that. I lean towards it being nothing because there's only two episodes left. <laughs> well, I mean, unless it's like an accomplice of sorts, which is possible, but I don't think it's anything we're going to explore because the amount of time we have left. And it like goes back to the other thing that everyone was theorizing about that the person that was going to help Monica out was going to be, you know, Reed Richards or something. And it was just some, some military officer. I forget her name now, but I, I like did a very light Google before. And I don't think she has any like grander purpose in the MCU. I think that a lot of people online need to realize that actors are not huge nerds often, and we should not take their quotes quite so intensely um, because they, they dead ass just don't often dive as deep into this as we do. And they're just promoting their show and uh, something like the, the Paul Bettany quote seems to still be in play, but a lot of times there will be quotes that circulate that are like, I'm so excited for you to find out. And people are like, it's the biggest deal ever. They're an actor. They're, they probably aren't as invested. I have the lyrics, finally. Nice. All right. The song goes, who's been messing up everything? It's been Agatha all along. Who's been pulling every evil string? It's been Agatha all along. She's insidious. She's uh, perfidious that you never even noticed. And the pity is, the pity is, it's too late to fix anything. Now that everything has gone wrong, thanks to Agatha, naughty Agatha, it's been Agatha all along. Uh -huh. Too late to fix anything. You're fucked. That's where I'm at with that lyric. It's sticking in my head. I can't believe we are running this long and I haven't even brought up the Nexus commercial yet. Damn oh, it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So do you know what to make of that? Um, I know, I guess I know a little because of what I read up about it. Like I know there's comic ties there, but you probably know better or more on the topic than I do. Well, so like the Nexus can be a place that connects all of the universes which would certainly lead to the multiverse but also the nexus being can change things where other people don't have that kind of power scarlet witch is the nexus being that has mm -hmm. the ability to change future time space the world um and i think that that is maybe they're doing both the hex very much could be the nexus but also i mean in terms I'm so bad at remembering quotes, but it's like, it's not like the world revolves around you, or maybe it does. I think that's what they're getting at, is that okay. she's the nexus being. Okay. Yeah, because I remember uh, now when I had Googled what that was, the reasoning, the uh, the information behind it was basically pushing me away from my Loki theory, thinking that he was useless in the respect that I thought they were going to need him in. I think they're definitely setting her up for a big break and that as the Nexus being changes the future of the MCU, which is what we all thought was going to happen all along. But like they've just 
surprised as in how they're going to do it so many times. And maybe that's not what they're doing. Maybe that's their last big surprise. <laughs> oh, I'm so curious. I want it to be Friday again. <laughs> I know. I'm also so like so overwhelmed. <laughs> like, I feel like even after all this, I'm still going to have a million and one questions. Absolutely. I mean, that is a testament to how much they're trying to do that we have spent so much time. We spent as much time as we spent watching the episode. I know. And it like, it wasn't hard. Yeah, no, no, it was very easy. And I could easily go on, but we have no. stuff. Yeah, we got shit to do. We're out of here, guys. Mm-hmm. Um, before we go, Haley, where can everyone find you and your work on the interwebs? You can find me on Collider if you're into that reading thing. If you are into not reading, I recommend following my Twitter because I don't tweet. And if you are into especially not reading, follow me on Instagram at Haystack McGroovy. I forgot to say Twitter is at Haley Fouch, but I only post pictures on Instagram. So I'm so brain dead. I'm like, what did I just say? I don't know, but I'm going to roll with it. Also, if you're not into reading, keep an eye out for a brand new episode of Ladies Night that you can watch with Lily Rabe, who I absolutely love from uh, American Horror Story. She's got a new show out this weekend called Tell Me Your Secrets. If you also don't like reading, I have an Instagram as well at PNemeroff. And if you like reading, but very lightly, you could follow me on Twitter at PNemeroff as well. That is it. We're out of here. You've officially survived the witching hour. 